hello everyone. Hope everyone's well, enjoying the weather. Um, this message is titled "Let's Talk About Sex," and so, um, yeah, it's just to talk about sex. It's something I've been thinking about um, recently, and I thought I'd do an audio on it. Um, so, just to lay out the groundwork, um, sex. We are going to be talking about it in the context of a biblical marriage, which is one man, one woman, um, a God ordained. Um, biblical marriage context so it's for married couples um and so yeah I want to go straight into it that's one of the reasons that sort of um that I've been thinking about that um I want to talk about but before we do that you know I think to my mind certainly there's sort of three um, reasons why God's God's given us sex um the first one is um for our pleasure so you know sex is there to be pleasurable between a husband and a wife and um, so you know when we read the book of solomon's we can see how some of that pleasure is depicted you know feel free to read that in your own time i know it's not something or, or a particular book of the bible that is preached on um on the pulpit but it is there and it's not it's by no accident that that's included in the bible so you know sex is there for our um gratification our pleasure and god wants us to have um, sexual pleasure within the context of a marriage um which is a safe loving um environment and um, for us to express those sexual desires and ple- and experience those sexual pleasures so um it's it's very apparent that god allowed sex for us for our pleasure so um that's the first reason um the second reason is that sex is given for procreation you know, so in order for evolution to happen, obviously there has to be procreation. And so God has allowed sex to happen so that we can further the human race. Um and natural selection or evolution or whatever name you wanna you wanna put to that can only happen through through sex. Well certainly at the moment that can only happen through a man and a woman coming together, um, or an egg and a sperm coming together, um, which, you know, have to be provided by a male and a female um so whether that's artificially um put together or artificially inseminated they have to be provided by a male and a female so in the biblical sense of it it's a man and a woman coming together and the sperm and the egg coming together to form new life and god um uses that to form new life um it's it's important that we remember um that family is the backbone the, the family is the foundation of society and so as Christians, we believe that in order to um, the best chance to have a a good start in life, it's between it's in it has to happen in a um, in a family in a, in a solid family unit, which is um, the mum, the dad, the parents, um, and obviously bringing up children. Ideally, those children will have Christian values and they'd be raised in a Christian home, and that's our belief as Christians. Um, and so you know, sex is there for procreation, to bring new life, to bring children about. It's not to say that those that don't have children or can't have children or choose not to have children, it's not to say they're deficient in any way. No, it's, it's just to say that is, um, the environment or, um, if you would like the equation that God has allowed for new life to be brought about. So, you know, first reason sex is there for, um, our pleasure it's there for procreation which is obviously the the obvious one um and then thirdly as well which is the the, 
the point I've been thinking about um, and I want us to sort of concentrate on. I mean, these three reasons are by no means exhaustive. This is just the obvious ones. But the third one that perhaps hasn't been so obvious to me and that occurred to me is that sex is there to stop us from committing sin. Sex has been given to us to stop us from committing sin. I mean, um, Genesis 2.24 says, A man leaves his mother and father and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So it's obvious that when sex happens, there's some kind of unification that happens between the two parties. Um, And so, you know, this is important because if you're going to unite yourself, if you imagine that every time you have sex with somebody, um, you're uniting yourself and becoming one flesh with that person it makes sense that that should only happen within um the safe context of the marriage which is the one partner but when people then do go on to have several partners you can imagine you can imagine that that unification then happens or that becoming one flesh then happens with several people and i have heard some pastors talking about it as some kind of covenant or spiritual um hold or bondage or something like something like that where you know if you have different many partners then you end up being um unified or spiritually bonded to these different partners and that's not even healthy um not healthy physically certainly because there are stis and and, and other things out there but also spiritually that's not healthy so you know it's it's there to to protect us from that um spiritually um but also it's it's very clear in 1 Corinthians 6 18 um, it says that all other sins a person commits are outside the body but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body um, so there's, there's an idea there of of sexual immorality um, whether that's fornication or adultery or, 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 or any kind of sexual immorality that's a sin against ourselves and we believe that our bodies are the temple of God. And so if our bodies are the temple of God and, and, and we carry the Holy Spirit when we're born again, as we believe, then surely committing sexual immorality, a sin against our own body would be, you know, it is, it is a grave sin. I mean, you know, every other sin, like it says, it's external, but this one sin is, is the one against our own bodies. Um, and so that's, that's important you see because i would like us to to think about that just just think about that ponder that for a mo- for a moment um yeah just think on that for a moment but the, the the key thing here that i want us to concentrate on it's in 1 corinthians um chapter 7 verse 8 and 9 um this is this is really like sort of what i've been thinking about um so in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 tells us, um, let's actually start, let's back up to, to verse 6. It says, this is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. And then in chapter 8, which is where I want us to concentrate on, it says, Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. Verse 9, which is the crucial part, it says, But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. 
for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Um, this, this is sort of what I want us to concentrate on. So this idea that it's better to be married um, and, ex- and, and, and express those sexual desires within the context of a marriage um, than it is to burn with passion. And burning with passion can then lead you to commit other sins, um, sins against your own body, sins of sexual immorality. And so Paul's saying here, it's better, you know, it's good for you to be single if you can stay single, if you can control those those passions. But if you cannot, if you cannot control those those sexual desires, then it is better for you to be married um, and be in the, the safe institution of marriage where you can con- um, express those desires, those sexual, and have the, that sexual gratification within that God-ordained um, um, sanctity uh, uh, or, or institution that is married. Um, so it's better for you to be married than to burn with passion. Because when you burn with passion, you're then easily led into temptation to commit the sin of sexual immorality against your own self. And Paul doesn't want us to do that. And so if you're then in a marriage, but you're also then refusing your spouse um, sex for whatever reason, you're pissed off, you don't feel like it, you're constantly married, you're constantly tired. Um, I want you to think about this because if those reasons are legit, which, you know, for a lot of times, especially for women, um, they are legit. I want you to think about the effect that's having on your spouse. By refusing him the sex you are in effect potentially putting temptation in his way because one of the reasons it seems that Paul's saying to us to get married is to be able to express ourselves sexually within marriage if there is a spouse in a marriage that's not having the opportunity to express themselves sexually in that marriage um, then that could lead them into temptation and lead them to sin so my question to you is are you leading your spouse to sin? Are you constantly tired? Are you letting them go for long periods of times without sex? Are you then causing them to lust after other people? Because, you know, the Bible's clear. Whosoever shall even look at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. Are you causing your spouse to commit adultery in their heart? Are you causing them to lust after somebody because that because those sexual desires are not being met? Now, you know, I'm not this is not a path for men or women that are adulterous or lustful um or are that way inclined. No, this is for those that genuinely, seriously seek God and want to be faithful in their marriage. However, the other person in that marriage is not making it easy because they're constantly withholding sex. So, you know, one time you might say, yeah, I'm tired. Um, and another time, you know, the kids have worn you out. But if that's the case, rather than saying no to your partner all the time, how about you have a conversation with them in recognition of the fact that you are the only person 
that can help stop them from committing any act of sexual immorality or adultery against themselves, against their own body. You have that power. Again, like I say, this is not a pass. And for adulterous men or men that have such desires um, or, 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 or the spirit of lust in them, this is not a pass for them. This is genuinely for those men that want to be faithful, that are trying desperately hard to be faithful and express those um men and women I suppose express those desires within the marriage but are not being allowed to do so by their spouse so I want you to think about this is your refusal of your spouse is your refusal of sex to your spouse causing them to sin against their own bodies if so then the bible's clear we shouldn't cause another to sin So think about it. Why are you saying no? Are you saying no for health reasons? Because you just don't feel like it? Because you're constantly tired? If that's the case, then you should be speaking to your spouse about it and saying, well, you know, I'd like you to help out a little bit more so that when it comes to to time um, for us to have sex, I'm not constantly so tired. I'd like you to help out with the kids a bit more. I'd like you to help around the house a bit more. I'd like to be able to work less. Um... Or, you know, you could say, I'd like to be able to have some time alone. Because then you've got to remember, for men, men are very visual. So, so for, for this is very, very general generalisation. For most men, um, the sex will come first and the intimacy will come. However, for, for, for most women, again, there are exceptions to the rule, but for most women, the intimacy is going to come first before the sex comes. Um, women are not visually stimulated some are but most aren't they'll need to feel close to you throughout the day um, or feel that emotional connection for them to even want to have sex with you whereas men can they're visually connected they're visually um aroused and visually stimulated so for them it can literally just be a turn on that they just look at you and so but for the women, you've got to get past that initial intimacy to be able to get get them aroused or stimulated sexually. But for, but for the men, you need to get past that initial physical gratification and release to be able to get the intimacy out of them. And so you've got to think about within your marriage, how is that going to work for you? How is that going to look like for both of you? How are you both going to communicate and and, 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 and behave so that you don't cause each other to sin? Because it's, it's clear to me here that Paul's saying one of the ways to avoid sexual sin is to get married. And so when you are in a marriage, you need to be doing everything in your power to help your spouse avoid sexual sin. You need to be able to be doing everything in your power to help your spouse avoid sexual sin. Paul's clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, he's clear there. In verse 19 he says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore honour God with your bodies. This is, you know, verse 18 is where he speaks about flee from sexual immorality. So if, if, if that's the case, and you hold the keys to your spouse, fleeing from sexual immorality, you've then got to think and, 
about that responsibility that you have to shield them from sexual immorality or to shield them from sin, to shield them from adultery and lust. Because if you're not playing your part, then you're leading them to sin. I mean, the Bible's clear throughout, isn't it? It's clear throughout about, you know, not causing your brother to stumble. Romans 14, 21 says, you know, it is good not to eat meat or, dr- or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Um, it's clear throughout. There's so many um, Bible passages that tell us to be careful to not cause others to stumble or to cause others to sin. Um, you know, Romans fourteen twenty says, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. I mean, this is obviously um, speaking about what you eat or drink, but it's clear there that we shouldn't cause another to sin. And so if you are causing your spouse to sin, Is that a responsibility that you want? Is that something that you want? I mean, it's clear, isn't it? 1 Corinthians chapter 7 from verse 5 says, Do not deny yourselves to each other unless you first agree to do so for a while in order to spend your time in prayer, but then resume normal marital relations. In this way, you will be kept from giving in to Satan's temptation because of your lack of self-control. you know it's it's there Paul's saying do not deny yourself of each other because if you unless by mutual consent so you know for some of some some people who will decide you know for example they want to go on a, a month-long fasting and prayer and abstinence without speaking to their spouse about it um but then that's not by mutual consent because then you're denying the other person of sexual relations so what have they what they didn't agree to that. So what then do they do for that month? That month where they haven't agreed to it and you're causing them to sin, yet you're praying to God and expecting your answers, your prayers to be answered. That's, you know, you, we've got to think about how we're behaving to each other in marriage especially. So he's, you know, Paul's clear here. He says, if you agree to it together, that's fine. Go ahead and do your fasting. Go ahead and do your prayers. But it's got to be a mutual agreement. Go ahead and do your abstinence. It's got to be by mutual agreement. However, when you're done, come back together so that the evil one, Satan, will not tempt you. So that Satan will not tempt you to sin. If you're doing it without the consent of your spouse, then you're leaving the door open for Satan to tempt them to sin. And you're leaving the door open for Satan to come into your marriage. Because what happens when you, you know, for example, you're on your long um, course of fasting and prayer for a month. But then you've left the door open to Satan because you haven't consented with your spouse. And then in that month, you know, your spouse hasn't consented to the abstinence. And your spouse then strays. And commits adultery and then brings a third party into your marriage or defiles the marriage bed, which, you know, Paul's clear that the marriage bed should be kept undefiled and pure. What then happened? The door's left open to Satan and he comes into the marriage and destroys all the work that you've been trying to build. 
But then you're sat there thinking, but I was praying, this was for a good cause. It was for a good cause, but you didn't do it the right way. You're sat there thinking, but I went on the month of fasting and prayer. And yes, God answered my request I was praying for, but then he took, you know, that the enemies destroyed my marriage. But you left the door open for the enemy to come in and destroy your marriage by not doing what the Bible has advised, what Paul, Paul said that's not a command, he said it's an advice. So let us take it with the wisdom that that it is given with. If you're going to go on a period of abstinence, let it be by mutual consent. And then when you are done, come back together very quickly. If you're tired because you've been on your feet all day, you're constantly running around the kids, you've been working, speak to your spouse about it. Find ways of making yourself less tired. If you feel not connected to your spouse throughout the day, but you need that intimacy before you have sex, speak to your spouse about it. Find ways to create that intimacy so that it then doesn't become a chore when you do get to the point of having sex. If you have a low sex drive or really don't feel up to it most of the time, speak to your spouse about it, get medical help. If you're constantly tired, it might be something as easy as iron levels being too low or vitamin D levels being too low. If you feel you don't have the urge all the time, it might be something as simple as your contraceptive um, methods or, or, or if you're taking a contraceptive pill or hormonal pill or injection, it might be something as, as, as changing that to something else. But unless you're engaging in these conversations, you will not get those answers that you so desperately seek and need to keep your marriage pure. If you're not feeling up to it all the time, or you perhaps feel that your your spouse is too demanding of sex, speak to them about it and say, okay, well, you know, I, I really can't keep up with you every night, but I'll meet you halfway and do two or three times a week. Be accommodating of each other. Be, be, be able to compromise with each other. Because that's the only way that we're going to help each other to flee from sexual immorality and to sin against our own bodies which are the temple of God, which house the Holy Spirit. And so if, if, if you are the spouse that's not wanting sex all the time, think about what that means for your partner. If you are the spouse that is constantly saying no to sex. You've got that responsibility. Again, like I say, this is not a pass for men that are just um, adulterous in nature or, or, or lustful in nature. This is for the men or, or the spouses that genuinely want to stay faithful in the marriage. So I want us to think about that. And think about ways in which we can... Um, help each other, help our spouses to stay pure, help our spouses and help each other to keep the marital bed pure, as we've been advised. Help each other to not defile our own bodies, to not commit any sin of sexual immorality against our own bodies. So, you know, sex is there for our pleasure. Yes, great. Sex is there for procreation. Absolutely. But it is also there to protect us from sin from sinning against God and against our own bodies. It is also there to protect our marriages and protect our homes. 
And the only way we can do that is by creating an environment that allows for those sexual pleasures and desires to be met by not saying no all the time. And if you are the spouse that's saying no all the time, examine the reasons why you're saying no all the time. Get to the root cause of it. Just communicate it with your spouse. And say, I really, I really would like us to have as much sex as you would like. I really would like us to both be able to not burn with passion whilst we're married because I understand and I appreciate that this, this union of marriage is there for, for us to be able to um, express or, 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 or ignite and, and, and use up those, those passions without them burning us on the inside and leading us to sin. But I really can't do it because of X, Y, Z. Could you please help me? Or could you please help me seek the answers to X, Y, Z? Let's work as a team. Because I don't want you to lust after somebody else. I don't want you to go out there and look at somebody else. I don't want you to go out there and commit adultery. Not on account of my not giving you what I'm supposed to give you within the context of the marriage. So let's go away and think about this. And um, if you've got any questions or comments, feel free to join the Facebook group and we can discuss this further. Like I say, this is not a pass. Um, it's not a dig at anyone. It's not a pass at people that are just adulterous in nature. It's just meant to get us to think a bit further about how our actions in marriage are affecting um, our spouses and whether we're leading them to sin or protecting them from sin. Whether we're causing them to sin against God and against us and against themselves or whether we're protecting them I look forward to hearing from you and I will um, be with you again soon take care, God bless